Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQBD in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, California is one of only 10 states that does not require screening for dyslexia, a condition that affects about one in five readers. And that may come as a surprise, given how public Governor Gavin Newsom has been about his own dyslexia and money that the state has allocated for screening tools and interventions. So this hour, we'll look at why California is an outlier when it comes to mandating dyslexia screening in schools. And we want to hear from you. Would you or someone you know have benefited from early detection? Tell us after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Forty states require screening for dyslexia or early signs of it, but California is not one of them. Screening still happens, but the lack of a mandate can mean detection happens later, when the signs are more pronounced and harder to address, according to literacy experts. UC San Francisco's Dyslexia Center has developed and is testing a new screening tool for dyslexia, and Dr. Mary Lou Gorno Tempini co-directs that center and is professor of neurology and psychiatry at UCSF. She joins me now. Dr. Gorno Tempini, welcome to Forum. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Also, reporter Joe Hong is with us. His recent piece for Cal Matters is called Why California Still Doesn't Mandate Dyslexia Screening. Welcome to you as well. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, Dr. Gorno Tempini. Start us off, what is dyslexia for our listeners who may not have experience with it? Yes, so um, dyslexia is a selective and isolated difficulty with um, the written aspects of language, and particularly reading and writing, and is uh, of neurobiological origin. Um, it is, um, the concept becomes a little bit more complicated when we think that uh, reading and writing are uh, abilities that need to be taught. They're not like spoken language that children uh, learn just by being immersed in, uh, in uh, uh, an environment where people speak to them. They actually need to be explicitly taught. So the definition of uh, dyslexia also includes the fact that children need to be appropriate taught, appropriately taught how to read and write. And, um, and also that they have to show uh, typical general intelligence. So it is really an isolated issue with uh, reading and writing. I see. It doesn't say anything about the intelligence of the person. It's very specific to kind of what their brain does when they're encountering letters and words and so on. 
Absolutely, yes. And actually what we are seeing in our research is that many individuals with uh, dyslexia have particular brains that might be more uh, inclined to and more able to do other aspects of uh, cognition and social emotional functioning. So we're really looking at the balance between different uh, brain functions. When is dyslexia often identified, especially here in California? Yeah, this is um, an issue that we all very interested in, and it is very interesting to think about. So you can't identify really or diagnose, let's say, a condition until uh, that um, ability is uh, supposed to emerge appropriately. So usually how a proper diagnosis, let's say a typical diagnosis of dyslexia happens is when children are supposed to be proficient at reading. So in second and third grade. Um, however, what we've learned in, in a few decades of research is that reading and writing are really uh, dependent on language functions and in on specific building blocks of language that we can identify much earlier. So we call these pre-reading skills. So the ability to manipulate uh, sounds of words that we call phonemes, or the ability to manipulate the written parts of words, letters, or what we call graphemes. And those building blocks, um, such as the ability to distinguish two sounds or two letters, we can test much earlier than um, than. Uh, when children become proficient. So mm -hmm. in kindergarten, first grade, and uh, research is starting to show even earlier. And although those are not uh, specific signs of dyslexia, they are signs of risk of difficulty in acquiring literacy. So then do you think identifying it in second or third grade is too late? Well, what we see is that the um, you know brain brain development happens doesn't happen as in a unitary process. There are different parts of the brains that develop in children at different ages, and there are certain critical periods. And um, what uh, research has shown is that interventions for dyslexia um, and specifically for certain types of, of dyslexia are more effective if they happen um, earlier. So we mm -hmm. want to try to identify early so that we can intervene early. Also, we see that if children don't understand their particular way of learning, um, they might uh, be, uh, they might think they're not intelligent, they might get bullied in school, and, and they might uh, have social emotional scars that can last a lifetime if we don't intervene early. And you mentioned for certain types of dyslexia, what are what are some of the different types? It's often been described as someone scrambling letters, but I imagine it's more complicated than that. Yes, it's much more complicated than that. Um, it's a kind of a new function of the brain in the last few thousand years. And they haven't, there hasn't really been a specific network. Like we can say that there is a specific muscle in the brain or network that is involved in language. Uh, the, the networks that are involved in learning to, to read and write are basically 
uh, borrowed by the visual and uh, visual and language systems. We need to link the language system to the visual system to recognize uh, written symbols and link them to the sounds of words. And and so there are different hubs and different highways, let's say, in, mm -hmm. in this network. And what we actively studying is how these different hubs and networks can be involved and which are the best way to intervene um, in, in, this, in the different cases. So one might have difficulties in perceiving two sounds, for instance, ba and pa is similar or different, and uh, or one can have difficulty processing written letters fast. Um, we just need to identify uh, what are the specific difficulties. And this is the novelty really of the science that uh, is not a unitary uh, concept and it might manifest in different ways if children speak different languages because yeah. of the characteristics of the different languages. Well, I want to bring you, Joe Hong, into the conversation. You spoke with a lot of different researchers and do they agree that the longer it takes to identify a child with dyslexia, the harder it can be to address? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there seems to be pretty universal agreement that early screening is a uh is, is a necessary solution here um i think third third year is a crucial year for literacy right because uh education experts often say that that is the grade where students go from learning to read to reading to learn so if a student's not reading at grade level by third grade those harms could the harms of literacy can really snowball in other subjects when they when when a student's trying to read a social studies textbook or read a math um, yeah. math word problem even we asked listeners ahead of the show if they wanted to share their experience with dyslexia or whether or not uh, they had sought screening and Nicole tweets two of my children would have benefited from an early dyslexia screener instead we had to wait figure it out ourselves and pay huge fees for private testing, then the school district did their own testing. Not all families have the means to pay for the private testing. So, Joe Hong, a parent cannot just ask for their kid to be screened. Yeah, the the, the anecdote you just mentioned is is pretty typical um, based on what I found in my reporting. I think a lot of parents do request screening, and uh, they just simply don't get it. And uh, I think what's really important in that um, anecdote that uh, from that listener is that it's very expensive. And so it raises equity concerns, right? Whereas parents with with resources can afford to get screening or they can hire attorneys to sort of fight their school districts to get this get get the screening at at their school. But are you suggesting that schools are also reluctant to do it because it's expensive for the school? I I don't think the actual screening is expensive for the school, but I do think the sort of the, the interventions um, to help a dyslexic mm -hmm. student can require a lot of resources, a lot of staff time. And, you know, this is a problem not just with... Um, serving dyslexic students, but in special education, in special education across the board, where I, I think a lot of districts that are resources are, are strapped for resources are kind of reluctant to um, sort of have these conversations. Mm 
Yeah. Can you give us just a general overview of how districts do it? It, it sounds like, and what California asks for, it sounds like it, it really encourages districts to screen students for dyslexia annually, but it is kind of left to districts and then it's just sort of based on whether or not they do it and have the resources to do it. Yeah, that's right. So um, there are some districts uh, in in the in the Bay Area, for instance, uh, Pleasanton Unified is looking at um, starting universal screening. And that's that's like you said, just because of the district leadership uh, really believes in it. And um, so they're really uh, taking they're, they're really uh spearheading that at the district level but mm. where districts at districts where it's not mandatory it's it's really up to the teacher um to uh sort of make time to to distribute screeners during during class time joe hong is a reporter who covers the students teachers and lawmakers who shape california's public schools dr marilu gorno tempini is professor of neurology and of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at ucsf she also runs uh, or co-directs the UCSF Dyslexia Center. And that's what we're talking about today, why California lacks a dyslexia screening mandate. And I want to invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation. If you haven't yet shared your comments or questions, you can post them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. You can call us at 866-733-6786. You can email forum at kqed.org. Tell us, would you or someone you know have benefited from early detection? Do you have concerns about mandated screening for signs of dyslexia? Have you tried to obtain a screening? What was your experience? Kimberly writes, my son's teachers and reading specialists who have all been wonderful in so many ways just weren't trained to catch this. Over the years, I've asked directly more than once if dyslexia or dysgraphia might be a concern and was told everyone learns to read at their own pace. Or he's almost at grade level. When we finally got a private assessment with a diagnosis, the district and school jumped into action, conducting additional tests and offering services. By then, I found I was conflicted about accepting the services, concerned that if the school couldn't recognize dyslexia, could they teach to it? More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about how California is an outlier when it comes to early detection of dyslexia warning signs. Forty states already do require screening. 
And with me is Dr. Mary Lou Gorno-Tempini, Professor of Neurology and Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at UCSF, and Joe Hong, a reporter for CalMatters, whose recent piece is Why California Still Doesn't Mandate Dyslexia Screening. And you, our listeners, are joining the conversation. Do you feel you would have benefited from early detection screening early on, like in K through 2? Do you have concerns about mandated screening for signs of dyslexia? If so, what are those? Have you tried to obtain a screening? What was your experience? 866-733-6786, the number. Email address forum at kqed.org. Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram is where you can find us at KQED Forum. And uh, Joe, there has been an effort to get California to mandate screening. Lawmakers have introduced bills to make it happen. Can you tell us about those? Sure. Um, the lawmaker who is sort of leading that front right now is State Senator Anthony Portino from the Los Angeles area. Um, he authored a bill last year that would have required annual dyslexia screening for grades kindergarten through through second grade. And that bill ultimately failed. Um, and he is expected to try again this year. The bill should be released uh, anytime now, really. Oh, well, why did the previous bills fail? We have a governor so, who's dyslexic, <laughs> who's been very publicly advocating for support right. and resources and so on. Right. I mean, it it really depends on, it depends on who you ask, right? So if I talked to Senator Quarantino, and he really laid the blame on um, California Assemblyman um, or former assembly member Patrick O'Donnell from from Long Beach, who chaired the uh, the assembly's education committee, um, o uh, assembly member O'Donnell refused to have a vote on on the bill. Um, there were some, you know, tensions, uh, pre existing tensions between O'Donnell and and Portino, but um, really the the California Teachers Association uh, opposed opposes uh universal screening and uh o'donnell is is known to be a pretty fierce advocate for uh teachers and um cta i, I reached out to them and and they said that the bill uh it or requiring screening of all students would number one uh place a lot of english learners um in special education um, because dyslexia screening would uh, confuse uh, dyslexia with um, a lack of fluency in English. And mm -hmm. number two, it would take too much classroom time or too much instructional time away from teachers. Hmm. Uh, we but actually I should, I, I should yeah. note, we, we invited the California Teachers Association to come on because they have been cited in, in multiple reports as being opposed. And we did get a statement. They declined mm -hmm. to come on, but they did provide a statement. This is from Claudia Briggs, Interim Communications Manager at the California Teachers Association. And they said, quote, requiring annual redundant screenings will result in over-identifying dyslexia, particularly among English learners whose challenges risk being confused with dyslexia. Screening every student into kindergarten through second grade every year will cost tens of millions of dollars and result in lost instructional time that we couldn't get back. 
We actually have a comment from a listener, Renee, who writes, the opposition by California Teachers Association is a red herring. Children will not be over-identified because screeners do not diagnose. They give the teachers and parents data about exactly why and where children are struggling to identify the best instructional method for that child. That is not taking time away from instruction. Rather, it is an investment of a small amount of time in each child to make the rest of their instructional time more effective and meaningful. Dr. Gorno Tempini, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. First of all, um, is there some validity to the concern that dyslexia screenings will over-identify students who are simply English language language learners who don't have fluency in English yet? So, this is this is a complicated issue. As we we mentioned at the beginning, there is a cultural aspect and um, to to dyslexia and language. And it relates to children who speak different languages or children that um, uh, grow up in, in different cultural environments, whether children have gone to preschool or not. And, and this is why we're working very hard to create screening tools that we can almost think about as uh, prevention, preventative medicine. We actually, with screening and intervention, want to prevent children to go into uh, special education later on in their uh, school environment. But it is complicated. Um, different languages stress different aspects of of the language learning process. Some languages are easier to decode. Some languages have more complicated syntax. We want to promote uh, an environment in which bilingualism and multilingualism is seen as a strength and not as a risk for anything. Um, so we want to create tools that are really, they are free, first of all. And so districts would not have to spend um, millions of, of dollars in, um, uh, pr- let's say, private uh, uh, screening tools. But also that the tools are culturally and linguistically appropriate. They take into consideration how proficient a child is in different languages when they arrive into school, what vocabulary they're more likely to know or not in California. California is a state that has much more diversity than many of the other states in the country. So we really want to get away from... Um, past mistakes in which children that um, are multilingual or come from minoritized uh, uh, communities get over-identified, even just as risk. Um, and f- <clears throat> so we're working really hard on that. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that we shouldn't screen, but we should be very careful how we do it, especially in kindergarten. It becomes easier after children have been to school for for a few months, and that's part of the research that we're doing. When is exactly the fairest moment um, to screen uh, uh, a child for risk? But I do agree that we're not diagnosing anything with these screening tools. We're really flagging for risk. Um, we also don't want to. We we also want to make sure that we give teachers some tools that are um, easy and and. Um, and we give some training to intervene because flagging is a risk uh, without having a strategy to intervene uh, becomes problematic. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to dig into that a little bit more. Uh, but let me go to a few calls. We have a lot on the line right now. Let me go to Sheree in Los Angeles. Hi, Sheree. 
Hi there, how are you? I'm well. Um, I really I really do feel that all children do need to be screened for dyslexia. Um, I have a child with dyslexia. I'm also a dyslexia advocate. Hmm. And it really could have changed the trajectory of how I responded to my child's struggles in school. Um, these signs are visible and 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 identifiable as early as three years of age. And what we see is we see children going to school and it's really a wait to fail um, process that we're using at the moment. And unfortunately, with that wait to fail process, it comes at a huge emotional and financial cost to parents and to the child themselves. My son, um, he went into third grade at a pre-K level. He was bullied. He thought he was so dumb and stupid and worthless. It has taken us years of counselling and therapy to try and rebuild his self-esteem and to give him the confidence to come back and try and learn at school. Um, He has serious anxiety and trauma to the learning environment and it set him up to fail right from the very beginning. Now, had we, you know, we suspected it, we emailed the school and we said, here's all these lists, what, you know, what is this? And if he had been screened, we would have had known what toolbox to use with him. You know, rather than trying to get him to learn with the balanced literacy that we have in our schools, we could have opened up the door to the right type of education to teach him the way that he learns. And unfortunately, as an advocate, I see this too often. Hmm. And unless this is mandated, the districts are not going to do it. And speaking to a school board member recently, they said, you know, the problem is if we screen these kids, we have to provide them services. Well, what is the consequence of not providing them services? The mental health, the dropout rate, the school-to-prison pipeline, the poverty? You know, well, we don't identify early. If we don't screen early and we don't give them these options, then we're paying for it for society for the rest of their life. Well, Sheree, thank you for sharing your son's experience, your experience with it. And I'm sorry uh, to hear about how it, it was such a struggle. And it sounds like an unnecessary one in your view. I'm really struck by what Sheree is saying, Joe, with regard to, and this is something that you talked about as well, the expensive intervention piece of this. I know that there has been some allocation in the state budget related to trying to support students with or who who are identified as having dyslexia or who are dyslexic. Uh, Do you do you know if that is enough? Is it just not being channeled in the right way, funneled to the right services? I'm, I'm just really curious about whether or not there's been an effort at the state level to address this, given the fact that there have definitely been increases in budget allocations for research and development of screening tools. Yeah, so a, a lot of the, um, those budget allocations um, have, have gone to UCSF for dyslexia research and for the development of this new screener. And the state has also allocated a lot of money to to teacher training um, and uh, the hiring of reading coaches at, at schools. But I, I would say uh, two things again, that we're currently facing a teacher shortage in California. So um, we, the state continues to, to fund these great programs, um, but they're just, it, we just don't have the labor force out there right now. Um, 
but on top of that, uh, I feel like most experts would say that screening is sort of the the most basic thing that we can start doing uh, doing now. And well, w- without screening, we're sort of a lot of students are just falling through the cracks. What do the experts say about the burden on teachers? The California Teachers Association was saying that it would result in lost instructional time that they wouldn't get back. Right. And I, I think one of um, the the callers might have spoken to this, but it's it's worth the invest. It's worth the, the instructional time because if the instructional time that we don't invest early will could double or triple later on as a student falls uh, further behind. And to circle back to the the uh, question of, of bilingual students, right, or English learners, the the need for screening is more urgent with them because if we don't, if these students aren't screened for dyslexia, they're uh, not only will their um, literacy struggle. Um, but their acquisition of English will also be delayed, right? So English learners really are facing this double threat. Well, Joe, how has it played out in other states with large, diverse, multilingual student populations that mandate screening like Texas? Yeah, so so Texas has been um, screening all students since the late 1990s. Um, they developed, the state developed its own screener as well, and um I spoke to one, uh, sorry, two experts in Texas who said they they also have a, a Spanish language screener. Um, uh, they they said it's you know not not the best, but com- completely adequate. And I I spoke to another expert who was actually involved in in the development of UCSF screener, and she said that. Uh, the UCSF's multilingual screener would, would be superior, but there are adequate screeners out there already where we can start screening students in, in Spanish. Hmm. Well, Megan tweets, early identification of dyslexic kids would be life-changing. We absolutely do not need to wait for a UCSF tool. 40 states are already screening with evidence-based screeners, including for English learning students. The state must mandate or else many districts won't do it, especially given California teachers association's opposition. We're talking about California's role as an outlier when it comes to early detection of dyslexia warning signs with Joe Hong of CalMatters and Dr. Mary Lou Gorno-Tampini, co-director of the UCSF Dyslexia Center. And with you, our listeners, letting us know if you feel you or someone you know would have benefited from early detection, whether or not you have any concerns about mandated screening, and your effort to try to obtain a screening and what that experience was like for you. And Dr. Gorno Tempini, so let's talk about your tool a little bit. Megan tweets, we don't need to wait for a UCSF tool. Is that something that's holding up the state's willingness to implement mandated screening? Oh, I certainly hope not. And um I don't think so. I'm not a policymaker. I would rather have them discuss this aspect. I know we've been um, given uh, f- generous funds from uh, from the state as a medical neuroscience institution that for the first time is taking on this issue. You really research and implementation and care of families and children with uh, and adults with uh, 
dyslexia has always been um, in in schools, in the education science or, or applied education classrooms and, and psychology uh, departments, which is great. But I also think that even in the definition of dyslexia, we say that it is of neurobiological origin. And I think we need the, the power, the precision and the relevance of mm. the science in the medical world to help deal with it. And I was really surprised when I uh, first funded the Dyslexia Center that there wasn't such an effort. And I agree that it's a question of health equity that we that insurance don't provide cover for evaluation of a neurobiological condition as dyslexia. So this is what part of the work that we're trying to do at UCSF, creating a clinic, creating a research, a clinical and applied research program that really puts this condition in the horizon so that we can change the way that we all uh, care about it because as we've heard from your listener it's not just an issue of reading and writing it's an issue of equity it's an issue of mental health it's a neurobiological condition it's not a disease but it's a neurobiological condition that we need all the resources that we can take from different fields to work together yeah. and uh, and try to solve and if I um, heard you earlier correctly you were saying that the existing ones the ones that are used right now when ultimately a child is tested you you still recommend that those be used? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think there are tools out there that can be used. They're not made for the the uh, California environment, education and uh, population environment. I am I am not saying that we should wait for multitudes. Multitudes would be free for schools. Multitudes is the name of your tool. Yeah. Yes, UCSF I'm sorry. Tool. It's called the yeah. UCSF Multitudes. That is really it has a broader. Um, um, scope to bridge uh, neuroscience to applications into the classroom. Uh, there has been a huge divide between um, the science and the education world. So we've seen multitudes as a parallel research and implementation tool as a digital platform um, that will provide assessment and intervention strategies for kindergarten and first grade students to start with, although the study will be longitudinal and will keep following uh, children in the following years, will be strictly science-based, free and unbiased. So it's not, uh, uh, um, it's, it's not yeah. a private company or editorial. Right. Uh, well, I'd love to dig into more about how Multitudes works uh, right after the break. So stay with us, listeners. This is Forum. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the latest research into the detection of dyslexia's early warning signs and the effort to mandate screening in California's public schools, as well as some of the opposition that it's received. We're talking with Dr. Mary Lou Gorno-Tempini, professor of neurology and psychiatry and behavioral sciences at UCSF, and Joe Hong, a reporter for Cal Matters, whose recent article is Why California Still Doesn't Mandate Dyslexia Screening. And we're hearing from you, our listeners, Jenny in Petaluma. You're on. Hi, Jenny. Hi. Thanks so much for bringing this topic up for discussion. I can relate to everything the previous caller shared. I have a daughter who's in seventh grade who absolutely struggled to learn to read, and it was left to me to be able to determine that she needed additional screening and support. And I find this story happens over and over again, and we absolutely know how to screen children early for reading challenges, and we're one of the last states to not do something about it. And I feel like it's a crisis in the state, really, because every year that we don't screen and help these children that are struggling readers, we lose them as learners, because reading is really the gateway to education. And, you know, if we don't invest now, every year that we miss out on screening is a year of a cohort of young early readers that are being lost in the mm. system. Jenny, and thank it, you. It, yeah. It, yeah. Uh, let me go to caller Camila in Oakland next. Hi, Camila, you're on. Hi. Um, I called in because I work for a literacy nonprofit, um, working with many of these children's parents, um, seek outside support for their reading challenges. And um, Green, our students, takes us about half an hour. Um, and I was really interested to hear more about this tool that's being developed um, to identify students who might have reading difficulties. Because we do not diagnose students with dyslexia, but we do see a lot of students who have the signs of um potential struggle with literacy. So, well, so thanks. Let's hear more. Yeah, l- let, let's hear more. So Multitudes is being tested, Dr. Gorno-Tempini, in a dozen or more schools, as I understand it. Can, can you just talk about how it works, how it's implemented? Yes. Um, well, Multitudes is being implemented now in about 60 schools. Oh, in, 60, uh, sorry. 60 public schools in uh, in um, in uh, all across California, really uh, taking into account the demographics of uh, uh, California, so reflecting the demographics uh, in California, um, taking into consideration whether children are given instruction in their uh, native language, especially in Spanish, bilingual um uh, academies, it's uh, really culturally and linguistically ap- uh, appropriate. So uh, some of the tools, we collaborate with many uh, universities across the uh, the country that are working on this topic. And we've seen that some of the tools that were developed were not really appropriate. They would use pictures of objects that children would have never seen in California. And so we're really trying to um, develop a tool that, again, is is very linked to the latest science and um, and is also free and and culturally and linguistically appropriate. So we've uh, evaluating, um, assessing uh, children in collaborations with the schools and the teachers in these sixty schools. We've have data in about ten thousand students um, that we are 
uh, going to have at the end of this year. Of course, the efforts were <laughs> happened right at the beginning of the pandemic. So we're really proud of the amount of work that the whole team and the schools and the districts have have uh, made, the progress that we've made in this last couple of years, despite all the difficulties in the schools. Yeah. We evaluating, assessing three times a year to see really when is the best time. Um, but I, I do agree that there are, um, that is an urgent issue and that yeah. we well, I'm just so curious, though, how long it takes to do it. It's an urgent issue, as we hear from parents, but we've also heard mm -hmm. teachers' concerns that it takes a while or as it takes away instructional time. How does Multitudes mm -hmm. address those issues? So we're trying to, to have a two-tier approach even to screening. So have a very quick uh, 10, 15 minutes first screening that everybody would take, and then a second um, uh, 20 minutes to, to half an hour uh, assessment that will be more uh, useful for interventional strategies and trying to use, um, kind of borrow the personalized medicine approach in which, you know, there might be children that depending on their strengths and weaknesses would need extra uh, doses of the specific systematic instruction that um, all children should get anyway. So we're really trying to create an environment in which we're not just creating a problem for teachers, but we're also providing solutions. So the again, the first screen will take only 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and then only children, um, hopefully the about 20%, 25% of children that might be flagged as at risk for literacy problems can have a more in-depth um, uh, evaluation. Hmm. This is Narice. In California, the people with money get private testing. Kids whose families don't have the money have to wait until somebody in a school system is willing to test them. If they've failed long enough and have caused enough of a ruckus, they will get tested. It's a form of educational apartheid. Sammy writes, I was diagnosed with dyslexia in first grade. The early intervention was critical for me. I still struggled but have been able to overcome it. Now I'm an elementary school teacher. I've watched so many students struggle and fail over and over because they can get... A because before they can get a diagnosis. Once they have the diagnosis and start getting intervention in third or fourth grade, the struggle has already had such a toll on their mindset, and they have missed out on tons of learning. It's not okay. You know, Dr. Gorno Tempini, we've heard a lot about interventions. Are you trying to work on once, once the screening has occurred, uh, making sure that teachers and specialists are able to intervene effectively? Well, this is an effort that we need to um, collaborate with other institutions and school of education and policymakers. We have a very close collaboration with the UCLA School of Education, with the Stanford and Berkeley School of Education. And my hope is that multitudes might become an avenue to also uh, become a teacher training tool so that uh, we can take the building blocks of, of uh, reading that we're trying to assess early and effectively and, and build teacher training modules and interventions to it. So I'm hoping it will be, a, we have funding for another couple of years, but I hope it will become a, a long-term uh, partnership between different universities and school of educations to to really move the needle on how we are uh, assessing screening and teaching children with with learning differences let me go to caller anna in oakland hi anna you're on 
Hi. Uh, thank you for um, having this discussion, this very important discussion. Our daughter, she's 10 years old. Uh, she has dyslexia. She's been struggling. Uh, we were fortunate enough to send her to private school, but even in private school, it was very difficult. Um, so we also, uh, I just wanted to say that not only is the intervention, the uh, screening that's needed, but also the diagnostic tools, the diagnosis, because it's, it's very expensive and insurance doesn't cover it. You can screen for it, then you need a diagnosis, and then after the diagnosis, oh. and you're on your own, basically. Uh, you have to find tutors, and that takes a lot of money. We're sending our child to Charles Armstrong, and we're commuting basically a four-hour commute. It's, it's, it's extremely expensive. We're doing this sacrifice. But I, I always think about, like, the people that are not as privileged as we are or, you know, um, that have the, the means to do this. And we went through an IEP with the district, and we have to fought, we fought every step of the way. They were not like, come to our district, come to our schools, we'll take care of you, we'll take care of your daughter, we know how to treat dyslexia. No, that was completely the opposite. They were like, she doesn't even have dyslexia. Mm -hmm. But because we know how to advocate for ourselves, we had our neurologist in the meeting with, with, with us, and she said, she advocated, um, you know, with the, the school district saying she does have dyslexia and she has some severe dyslexia that we need to provide it. And I just think that yeah. we're scratching just the, at the top of the surface with the screening tool, which is excellent. But scratching. I just wish that <laughs> yeah. that Newsom didn't do didn't write a book well, <laughs> that he should be doing much more. Well, Anna, it's 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 a striking point, Joe Hong, about scratching the surface with the screening tool. I am curious, you, you said that um, uh, Anthony Portentino is any day going to introduce a new bill. And I think you touched on this, but the trajectory of this one looks a little more promising. Can you just remind us why? Yeah. So I, like I mentioned previously, um, last year's bill failed because a former assembly member, Patrick O'Donnell, um, refused to uh, have, a, have a vote on it in the Assembly Education Committee. Um, O'Donnell has now left office and he's been um, replaced by uh, Alan Morisucci, uh, who, you know, according to Parmentino, he's he's a little more hopeful that, wow. that uh, the new chair will uh, hear the bill. Well, this listener writes, Susan, I firmly believe that non-neurotypical children getting the help they need is a healthcare equity issue. My son would be in prison or dead if we had to wait for the school system to identify his struggle and help. His dad is a federal employee with excellent health care, which covered screening and intervention and treatment. Let's not put this on the underfunded, understaffed schools and have universal health care that covers everyone equally and for their whole health. Another listener writes, Screening and identification of all students with disabilities is included in the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. Why does California have no plan in place? We are talking about how California lacks a dyslexia screening mandate, while 40 other states, in fact, do have one. We've been talking with Joe Hong for CalMatters. 
His recent article is Why California Still Doesn't Mandate Dyslexia Screening, and Dr. Mary Lou Gorno-Tempini, co-director of the UCSF Dyslexia Center, also professor of neurology and psychiatry and behavioral sciences at UCSF, where they are developing a new tool for screening called Multitudes. This is a fundraising period for many public radio stations. You are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. And let me go next to caller Megan in San Francisco. Hi, Megan. You're on. Hello. Um, Yes, my name is Megan Potente, and I'm co-state director for Decoding Dyslexia California. Uh, Dyslexia runs in my family, and I also have 20 years of experience as an elementary school teacher. Teachers want to help all children reach literacy, yet many school districts do not provide the appropriate screening tools and training. And I'm so excited to hear about the Multitudes Project, and I'm sure it will be an amazing new tool. But unless screening is required, it's very unlikely districts will take advantage of it. Free and low-cost evidence-based screeners are already available in English and Spanish, but most districts do not use them. Um, My personal connection with this issue, my dyslexic brother and dyslexic son were born 30 years apart yet both experienced a wait-to-fail model in school where their difficulties in learning to read went unrecognized and unaddressed until they had fallen years behind their peers. So as has been talked about, the science has existed for many, many years, but it just has not reached our schools. Mm. Well, Megan, thanks for for sharing. And also it sounds like a strong position from your own organization. I guess one of the questions that I have, too, with regard to Megan was talking about teachers want to do this and make this happen. Multitudes is a digital platform, right, Dr. Uh, Gorno-Tempini? It's something that is web-based so that it should be accessible, easily accessible for everyone who wants to use it? Yes, yes, it will be. And it, it, it took quite a complicated uh, um uh, technology uh, uh, aspect to to the project, but it will be web based, so it can be used in any platforms that the schools um, might have. And um, so, hopefully, it will be um, easy to use and deliver in any schools around California. And how many languages are being piloted with it right now? So, the English uh, version is, of course, the one that is. Uh, we have more. Uh, evidence on and is easiest to implement. So it will be ready soon. We're developing, uh, implementing novel ways to look at Spanish, uh, really considering children's language abilities when they enter uh, kindergarten. And again, promoting uh, an environment in which speaking another language is actually a strength. Uh, that can help uh, acquire literacy in, in English. And then we're also developing a, a version in Mandarin. Um, Chinese is a, another of the very uh, common language uh, spoken in schools in California, in families in California. And, and that is a, a more complicated research challenge. English, as I was saying, different languages put different emphasis on aspects of language and uh, Chinese is a logographic language, very visually based. Spanish is a very phonetic and uh, grammatical uh, language. Reading, decoding is easy in the sense that each letter corresponds to just one sound. Um, and uh, English is a little bit of a mixed, is what we call a deep orthography. So just decoding 
sounds and associating sounds and letters is not enough. Some words are just not predictable that way and need to be memorized. So we need to take into consideration all these aspects. And there is much less research in other languages um, and especially in Chinese. So we actively mm. researching and piloting a tool also in Chinese. Let me go to Gordon in Temecula. Hi, Gordon. You're on. Hi, Gordon. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Go right ahead. Yeah, um, I've had dyslexia. Um, I'm 63 now. When I first, you know, had it, um, the schools weren't good at diagnosing it. When they did, they just stuck stuck you in a special ed class where you did macrame and stuff like that. Um, I have um, a daughter and son right now. They both have it. But what I did is... I sent. I um, had them learn uh, music, played musical instruments, which really helped. Both of them still have a little bit. My son skips words, and he can't spell without a keyboard. Um, he's finishing up his master's at uh, Davis Material Science and writes code. And my daughter, um, she's uh, the only time you can experience it with her is when um, you tell her numbers or letters she gets them mixed up but the rest of the time she's fine and huh. she's uh finishing up her postdoc in um stanford for neuroscience well gordon thank you for for sharing your story and theirs it's it's really heartwarming um yeah and if, if you do you do the musical instruments it works yeah that's fascinating I, we just have 30 seconds dr gordon tempini but i imagine your research is just helping you recognize new frontiers of ways to approach dyslexia. I'm wondering if you could just quickly give us a sense of what you are learning that we may not have touched on that's pretty cutting edge. And again, we just have 30 seconds. Absolutely. I'm so glad for this caller. Thank you. There are so many talents that uh, children with, with learning differences can can bring to our society. For one, reading network that is functionally different, there is a corresponding one somewhere in the brain that is uh t- kind of taking advantage uh, of that. And music can certainly be one, creativity, uh, uh, out of the box thinking, very quick understanding and what we call semantic abilities. These are all strengths that we wanna make sure we capture and, uh, and, and capitalize on, not only to intervene in dyslexia, but to empower these children and make them understand that they have uh, Mm. skills that we all need as a society. Well, Dr. Mary Lou Gorno-Tempini, thank you, of UCSS Dyslexia Center. Joe Hong of CalMatters, thanks as well. You can check out his piece, Why California Still Doesn't Mandate Dyslexia Screening. Thank you, Caroline Smith, for producing today's segment. And thank you, as always, listeners. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way, from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum.
I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts.